Hello and welcome to our lockdown series on the Women Who Sport podcast. We'd like to thank our sponsors, which are Virtual Wealth and insurance company from Edinburgh that have helped us set up this podcast. Sharon Martin, who's let us use her song Girl Daughter of Scotland in the intro of this podcast and it will also be in the outro. And finally to Lauren Harris, our badge of shame clothing, have supplied us the artwork for this podcast. So definitely check all them out. Always be proud of who you are, We are absolutely buzzing to be joined by Scottish superstar Erin Cuthbert. She has 36 national caps for Scotland football team, 13 international goals. She has umpteen appearances for Chelsea Women's Super League and again has scored endless points for her club side. All right, question one. We'll start from the beginning. At the 2019 Football World Cup, in your final game, you scored a beller and celebrated by pulling out a wee picture of you. Um, it transpires <laughs> to me, you as a wee kid. Um, is this where your football journey began? And like, what was the kind of story behind that? Yeah, for me, that wasn't like a pure ego thing. Like, oh, here's a picture of me. I just scored kind of thing. It, was, it wasn't really that at all. Um, it was more... My dad actually gave it to me in the car, um, just outside my house before I went to leave for the World Cup. And he said, and he wrote a note in the back of it, like, play for the little girl who never gave up and whatever, or, something, or practice and practice and practice or something until she never gave up. And that's what he said at the back. And he kind of just wrote, love dad. And it was basically like, don't play for us, just play for you. And I thought, you know what, that was such a special moment. And we had lost the first two games. So I said, oh, something's got to give me luck. So I put it in my sock before the game. I was like, right, I'm feeling it. Like, I, feel, I feel good. And then um, obviously I scored. And like, I don't celebrate. If, if you've seen any of my goals or anything, I don't know how to celebrate. I just stand there and let kind of people celebrate with me. So I don't know what happened. I just ran towards my family and kind of done, done a knee slide. I don't, I've never done that in my life. Um, done an A slide and, and kind of took the took the picture out after it was it was pretty amazing. That was a pretty cool moment to be fair. So if you always played football, has there been any sports that have been up there for you? Uh, I've always played football. I went to gymnastics. My mum took me to gymnastics because my sister done gymnastics and I nearly broke my neck in the first session. So we cancelled that. We cancelled that very quickly and I didn't enjoy it. And I much preferred we've got a big bit of grass outside our house and I much preferred like being out playing with the boys and just getting getting muddy and kind of climbing all the trees and stuff. I've still got like scars in my stomach. Like I fell down a tree once and one of like the, the branches actually went in me. It was that bad. So I've still got a scar in my stomach from it. So I've, I kind of knew that football was always what I preferred. Do you want to talk to us about when you started playing club, like who was your first club? And I guess you will started playing club in Scotland before making the move down to England. Um, yeah. So kind of what motivated you to do that? And then you moved to Chelsea. So why Chelsea? <laughs> uh, so I'll start from the very beginning I'm sure hope you've got time here so um, basically I was at a school trip being in primary one and I was at a school trip to Killeen Castle I don't, don't know if you know where that is 
Um, and I was at, it was lunchtime when I was out kicking a ball with, with the boys at lunchtime. I, I wasn't interested in the castle or anything. I just lived for the lunchtime, honestly. Um, and I remember coming home that night and then one of the parent helpers on the bus on the way back said, oh, why don't you come along to the, like, the, the local football team? I was like, went home and I thought, begged my dad to go, like begged him. I think he was like, oh no, you're joining a boys team. But... He took me and like I don't know why like I was I was just so good compared to the boys like I, and I don't kind of know where that happened or how that happened. Back yourself? No like <laughs> I, I, here we go I, get, I gave my, I gave myself a little bit of a shock it's because I was out kind of playing with the boys um, out the front and I had never really compared myself so I joined them um, when I, I think I was five years old and then I went to, to six. So I joined Girdle Toll at five years old and then I played there for about seven years. But I played with girls at the same time. So I joined co-winning. So I played Saturday, Sundays. I was trained like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I was wild when I was younger. I think I trained more then than I do now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so joined co-winning and joined Girdle Toll. And then I went 11 aside and Girdle Toll, there was a coach there Um May I also say that my, my dad was a coach for the girls and the boys team. He coached me the whole way through until I moved to a living aside. So, like, a big thanks has to go to him. Um, and also went to a living aside with my boys team and I got told that I was too small. I wasn't good enough. Um, I would never be able to compete with the boys. So at that point, I was just like, you know what? I don't feel appreciated. And I think that's the most important thing for an athlete or a footballer is to feel appreciated by your manager. It wasn't my dad, it was someone else. Um, just to put that on record. Um, so I moved to our kind of rival team, Cross House. Um, and I had so much success there. Some of, the, some of the boys are still playing professional football. So they are professionals and we won like, everything that year. Um, I had been training with the Rangers Elite Centre. They never had a girls' academy at the time. So I trained since I was like nine, ten years old there. On a Sunday night with the boys, it was like an elite centre because there was no academy set up. But when I kind of hit 13, I think they they thought, or 12, I think it was 12 or 13, they thought, right, let's make an academy. Like Rangers literally just only less than 10 years ago just decided to make an academy, which is, which is crazy. Um, so they made an academy and I joined the under-15s team. We won everything again. Like, it was it was so good. And then I kind of made the step to the 17s and I, I joined the senior team and made my debut for the senior team when I was four, 14 or 15, I think maybe 15. And then um, I decided Glasgow City wanted me because they were a formidable team in women's football in Scotland. They still are. So they, they wanted me and I thought, Do you know what, I can't, go there and not play so I was, there's was too many big guns and at the time Rangers had a decent team we had a decent team but we didn't have a wasn't brilliant we weren't ever going to win the league over Glasgow City so I thought you know what I'm only 15 I need another year kind of playing senior football to kind of build up my playing time and my game time and, and kind of just enjoy playing at that level and, and test myself so I decided not to go to City and then the following year they came calling and that's when I had a kind of full year under my belt. I enjoyed playing there. I thought I was ready. I was playing against like Julie Fleeting and I felt I was ready to take it to the next level and try and compete for my, my spot at the Glasgow City team because that was at, that, at the time it was stacked with internationals playing for Scotland. So 
uh, I knew I had a I had a tough feat to try and overhaul them. But joined City and then got playing Champions League football, which was amazing. Like, and I was like 16, so that was pretty cool. We won the league and I was part of 10 in a row, because I know that's a big thing for Scottish football. Not many teams do that, um, so it was a big achievement to be part of that. And then it was only, we played, we actually played Chelsea in October that year, so I joined, I think I joined in January. And we played Chelsea that year in the Champions League with Glasgow City. Um, and I played the first game, played 90 minutes. And then the second game, I got took off after 13 minutes. Nobody ever gets taken off less than half time if you're having a shocker. I, think I, I was going lucky. to say, that's a blow. That's tragic as well. It was like big crowd, Champions League. Like, it was a big thing, you know what I mean? So Chelsea scored one and they said it was a tactical change. So that kind of, that destroyed me a little bit. Kind of really brought me down. I didn't, they said it was a tactical change, but I knew that I was kind of the scapegoat for it. And then nine months later, I got a message from Glasgow City just saying that, Chelsea had kind of sent an interest and wanted me to go down and train. I was like, go down and train? Like, trials, is that how it goes? Like, I was, I was uh, 18 at the time. And I thought, oh, go down and trial? Like, do they really want me to trial at 18? Like, is this what it is? And I knew there were so many big players there at the time. So I thought, they're not going down to trial, you know what I mean? So I was like... Kind of knocked me a little bit as well, and I had the option of a couple other clubs in the WSL. I had, you know, at the time that I was in contact with Manchester City, but um, that was obviously closer to home as well, half the distance. And I had the option of of what I wanted to do, but I just felt when I went, I went, I went down to trial, and everything was so different. Like the facilities, I got put up in the Hilton Hotel. Like it was. It was big time for me, like it was, everything was just so different. Your kit's laid out in the morning, even as a trialist, was sitting there perfectly kind of pressed and stuff. So it really was a different world to me. Someone who, back at Glasgow City, I, I went to Institute in the morning, so I went to a 7 a.m. session up to Glasgow, I left at 6. I then went to uni at 9. And then I went and went to Glasgow City training at night, like I was out 15, 16 hours of the day training. Doing, like it was it was crazy. Um so yeah, it was worlds apart. And I think the reason why I did choose Chelsea is because the manager, some just simple reason, um, Emma Hayes, she told me, You can't expect to come here and play. That's not gonna happen. You can expect to come here and play if you work for it and you deserve it. Um and that that was for me was like, you know what, I'm gonna try and fight for my place here. I don't want in life I kinda don't really ever want anything given to me. I want to be able to try and work hard. And I knew the caliber of players that were there. They, they so young. They brought they, they, they brought Frank, Frank Kirby was there. Crystal Dunn, Marin Mielda and Ramona Backman were the other three signings, including me. And I was like, you know what? A US player that's won the World Cup. The Norwegian captain. One of the, the Swiss best players. I was like, what, what am I doing here? You know what I mean? The first couple of months, it was a bit hard to sink in. I kind of struggled being away from home and that for me was the biggest thing I moved in with a couple of the girls but I moved away from home away from my family and I don't I don't know if you've heard this story before but I moved down for the first time and I said mum you need to tell me how to work this washing machine so I put put she right she went send me a picture of it and I'll show you what buttons to press I went right okay so I put the clothes in shut the door and I sent her a photo and she said Erin 
that's the tumble dryer. That's not the washing machine. <laughs> so tumble I said, dry, clean clothes. <laughs> at that point, I kind of knew I was like, oh no, I need to get a grip of my life here. I need, I need to grow up fast. I was only 18 and everyone else in the team was like, you know, in their mid to late 20s. Like there wasn't many young players there either. So I kind of had to fend for myself a little bit at the start. And I was like, grew up trying to learn how to cook. You know, I really had to go back to basics a little bit because moving from home in Irvine to to London, living alone, away from family, um, with, with two teammates that I didn't even know. Like I lived with Ji So Young, the South Korean girl. So she has a completely different culture as well. And then, then Hannah, who's English, who also has family like an hour away. So in the days off, kind of went to go see her family at times as well. Um, and then then Beth ended uh, Beth as well. Beth England, she was she was good with me as well at the start. So. It really has been a bit of a roller coaster, but I'm kind of grown up now. I have my own place, thankfully. I, I, um, I quickly found out that after a year and a half, I couldn't live with people in my team because you can't you can't imagine what it's like to work with people, live with people, kind of go through everything with people. They're your second family, and you, you go to work with them, and you live with them. It's too much, you know what I mean? So, Rona uh, does that now. To be fair, I feel we both do. We know how that feels. Yeah, to be fair, my flatmates probably say that about me. <laughs> Training with Rona, living with Rona. You said that when you were 15, you could have gone to Glasgow City, which was like the big kind of shiny club in Scotland, but you didn't. Yeah. You chose to go to Rangers so that you could get more playing time. <clears throat> that is such a like difficult decision for somebody at that age to make and like actually quite a mature one to go where you could play actually more. Actually get like, more game time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but because it was easy for me to go to Glasgow City and kind of get the plaudits, get the recognition, get trophies. But I'd, at that point, that wasn't right for me. And I'm lucky that I had my dad to actually advise me and help me and, and kind of keep me grounded and give me advice about what was best for me. And I'm lucky that I have someone like that because I think it's always good to be able to talk to somebody, whether it's your family or your friends or your partner or whatever. I think you have to be able to talk to someone because sometimes we are caught in this bubble and we kind of just see the headlights. Whereas we need to take ourselves outside the bubble and just be like, you know what, like put this into reality a little bit. And that's for me what I wanted to do. And I just wanted to play. Like I was a little girl. I love playing football. You know what I mean? So I enjoyed that element and I enjoyed playing for Rangers. It was, it was my childhood club. So at the time, like moving to Glasgow City, I was like crying my eyes. I was like, oh no. So I imagined like being at Rangers for life or whatever. Like I knew I wanted to be a pro, but you know, in my head it was like, oh, Rangers, Rangers, Rangers. But um, I knew it was best for me to go at the time that I went because I kind of felt that I couldn't really go any further. And I feel like if you're ever at that point where you've got more to give, then the grass isn't greener on the other side. You have more to give and give everything. And at least you can say, you know what, I gave everything rather than just being like, I could have gone, I could have give, given more, but then I went for other things. I went for money or, you know, I went for the fame or I went for trophies or whatever. Like, that's not, that's not me. And I always have done the best decision for me in a footballing perspective. You mentioned a few obstacles growing up in terms of having to play for like boys teams and stuff um, and I guess limited opportunities for the girls within football. Do you think that's changing or do you think there is still quite an element of that for like girls growing up having to play for boys sides until they reach a certain age? For me it was more a choice. I played boys football because that was the best way for me to improve and 
And I urge any girl to stay in boys' football as much as you can because girls' football is technical or whatever, but you can improve so much quicker playing boys' football because you have to move the ball quicker. You have to be faster. You have to be fitter. You have to be stronger because all the boys are stronger genetically. That's just the way mm-hmm. it works. But at that age, you kind of, it's kind of level playing field. So they really push you to become better and that's how I improved and I think the biggest level of my improvement was in boys football so yes I don't think there's as many opportunities as I was that like as there is now because the opportunities are just through the roof it's incredible to see how many teams there are now but I actually made the choice that I wanted to play boys football just because it was it was improving me the most yeah fair yeah, I guess like a lot of girls end up like the good women's rugby players now grew up playing boys rugby to a certain yeah. level or to the point that I guess you can do contact with them and stuff and their skills and I guess their kicking especially is a lot better than those that have just played women's rugby or come into it later or whatever. Yeah. So alongside football, you're also doing a degree. Um, so do you want to tell us like what that's in, where you're studying? And like, do you think, do you consider that to be really important? Because you are at a position that you're playing professionally and you're able to, to do football full time. So how can we feel like you also have to study alongside that? Good question. Um, I was at the University of West of Scotland for a year and a half. I went to uni in fifth year, so I missed out in the prom and everything. That was I was most upset about that, to be honest. Um, went to uni in fifth year, and I was a year and a half in, in a, the degree, and obviously Chelsea came calling. I said, oh, no, do I finish the degree? Do I wait two and a half years? And I was like, do you know what? Why, why wait to achieve your dream when you can achieve it now? So I was like, you know what? I'm taking the leap of faith. And then I was also... Yes, I'm achieving my dream, but yes, my dream doesn't last forever. You know, the retirement age is, what, 30-odd. So I was kind of realistic that I had to have something else. And, you know, it was important for me to to keep continuing my studies because I knew that if I stopped, I wouldn't go back. You know, it's when you take that gap, you don't. people don't want to go back. And, and I'll be used to the easy life, you know, going, going to work and coming back at 2, 3 o'clock. And that would be me for the day. So I kind of didn't want to do that. And I think it was important for me to actually have something else in my life so that if football wasn't going good or, or you know, I was missing my family, I could go to my studies. So I'm studying a business degree at the Open University. I transferred my credits from UWS over and I am now in my final year which is exciting I've got two more modules and then I'll be graduated but it's been it's been a long slog like I've been I've been at this for four and a half years already so it'll be five and a half years when I'm done so it's it's been hard and I know that if I stayed in Scotland I would have graduated by now but I wouldn't also experience what I've experienced right now and I'm lucky that I'm able to be supported like I'm at a club where if I tell them, look, I'm struggling with my studies, they'll get help from me or they'll get me a safe place to study. And, you know, it's, I'm, I'm always supported and I always feel like they help, they help me. And if I wanted to maybe be like, look, do you know what? I've really got this to finish. I'm sorry. Like, they'll be like, okay, do you know what? You finish that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm at a club that supports me and they're, they're quite big on, on the academics as well. And I know that football isn't forever. You know, I, as much as I'd love it to be and we'd all love it to be, it's just not the way it works. And especially women's football, it's not, it's not as if I can be like, right, I can earn my money in football and then that's me for life. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I can't earn my money f- for life, you know. It's, I'm earning my money to survive rather than to, to live in the future. So, um, 
I want something else in my life. I don't feel fulfilled with just football. It is 95% football for me, but that also, that little, that little glass ain't quite full yet because once I get my degree, I do want to kind of succeed in other areas, like I maybe want to start my own business or something like that. Um, but kind of will cross that bridge when it comes. No, that is so important, like that dual career kind of option and having that backup plan. Like with teaching especially, like you see so many kids just like putting all their eggs in one basket and kind of just wince a wee bit thinking, oh, are you being like super wise about that? Is it it's maybe important to have something to fall back on too? So it's quite good to get your kind of uh, insider view on that. Okay, so we're going to move away from education and go to kind of the World Cup qualification <laughs> journey. Um, we know it ended quite badly, sadly, um, but <laughs> in terms of getting there, it must have been quite a happy, like ecstatic process. Like it, that qualification game you had must have been pretty amazing. Oh, it just, it was incredible. It was a bit of a, a whirlwind, to be honest. We were out in Albania, so Switzerland, we, we, had, we had a double header that camp and we knew we had to win both games regardless. And we thought, right, and if we didn't win both games, we thought that was it. And um, I think I think we we played Switzerland and we won two one, but we had to win by two clear goals. We had to win by two clear goals and we won two one. That was such a big result against Switzerland as well. Like they are a top team, and I said, "Oh no, surely we this isn't glorious failure again with Scotland." Like one one goal we needed against Switzerland. You know what I mean? So I said, "Oh no," but we had a double header to play. So we went to Albania, and I think Switzerland went to Poland and. Poland were kind of the top team as well. It was like us, Switzerland and Poland. We thought, uh, we thought, oh, Switzerland are, st- are still going to beat Poland because, you know, we beat them both times. And, you know, you know if they quali- if they win, they qualify. So that must be their incentive. But I was like, right, you know what? We control what we can control. We can only focus on our, our game and the rest will take care of itself. But I knew, I knew in my heart that I would be absolutely devastated if we didn't qualify. But even though the chances were so slim, I, I don't know, there was just a feeling that I just, there was just something weird about it. And obviously we got the goal against Albania and I was, I was, I was buzzing, but actually buzzing because uh, the pitch was a shambles. Like there was so much against us, like the travel was rubbish. Like there was, there was so much sort of things that hadn't worked in our favour and we got the goal and then we started to kind of be more comfortable, which was good. And then I was, I was thinking in my head during that game, I was like, I wonder what the other result is like, because Shelly or any of the players didn't tell us and I didn't want to ask in case of like right focus on the game what are you doing you know what I mean so I was like well I'll not say anything um in the last like 10 minutes of the game because I kept looking up to the girls in the stand because they were on their phones they were obviously looking at the result of the other game the other game I think was like no 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 at the time um, but I didn't know that and I saw the girls in the last five minutes coming down for the stand to stand next to the bench like obviously if they're in the stand, they usually just stay in the stand. And I was like, what is going on here? Like, something must be going on. So I was trying to concentrate on the game, and I was trying to look at the bench to see what they were doing. And I, I couldn't, couldn't figure it out. And then um, Albania started to put pressure on us, so we were just kicking it everywhere. Like, we're a team that should, should, should be Albania comfortably with the players that we've got. But I think kinda, everything kind of got to us a little bit. But then we were, we were pretty calm. And then the full-time whistle went, and I... 
almost just stood still for a second because I was like, yeah, we've won, but <laughs> Switzerland have won a group and they're going to qualify, you know what I mean? But then the girls came sprinting from the bench um, onto the pitch and I was like, no, like, a part of my heart literally dropped to the floor. I was like, dis- complete disbelief and it was just an incredible moment. I just remember sprinting. I probably reached my peak speed in that game, sprinting to all the girls to celebrate. We all just celebrated in this big circle and everything was pure raw emotion. Like I remember it circulating on social media. Everyone was, was just so happy. And it's so rare for, for Scotland to qualify for a World Cup, male or female. So it was just an incredible moment and I'll never ever forget it. Rugby wise, um it's always really challenging to qualify from Europe. So imagine it's same in football. So for us, like that's so inspiring to hear that you guys did that. For you guys, then was a Switzerland game happening at the same time that you were playing Albania? Yeah, so all the games are at the same time in the group. So that obviously... But that's so tough. I know, so you don't know what's going on. And I've never kind of experienced not knowing. And I felt powerless, even though I was in control of the game. I felt powerless about what I was going to feel after the game. Um and then the girls just came running on and just said, Switzerland have drawn. And then that was amazing. But then I had to go back to club with my Swiss mate, who was my be- who's my best mate. Everyone was congratulating me in front of her and trying to kind of keep it on the down low. But it was so hard. And I had to try and pick her up. It's like a dream come true for me. But it's also her dreams have came crashing down kind of thing. So how do, how do you kind of work that? And the dynamic was a bit tough and I had to, it was kind of the elephant in the room a little bit, but we kind of work together and then whatever happens on the pitch stays on the pitch. So that takes us on nicely to the Argentina <laughs> game. Obviously that's a game that you were 3-1 up. 3-0. 3-0. If you're happy to talk to us about that, um, yeah, it'd be good to get kind of your perspective on what, like, what you've learned from that game. Um, you know I've heard a lot of people say it's not over till it's over but that was literally the exact quote of of that game I think we felt like we had it in the bag and you know coming into that game we knew that if we won comfortably we'd give ourselves a good chance of qualifying as one of the best kind of uh, runners up or whatever third place third place team so I thought you know what I feel good like him scored in the first half and Everything was going great, like Parrot, like what a stadium it was. It was just incredible to play there. And second goal went in as well. And then the third goal went in. I said, you know what? Like, we just got to keep this tight. We'll be fine. Argentina were a good team, but we always had it under control. Like, we were so comfortable in the game. Like, we were on cruise control, you know what I mean? Um, and then the last 15 minutes happened. They scored one at that point. I was like, oh, it's fine. Like, still got to score like, another two. Like, um, it's not going to happen. And then they scored the second goal. Um, I can't, you know what? I can't even remember them because I've not watched them. I've still not watched the game back. Like, I really, really struggle to watch the game back. And I just remember the third third goal was a penalty. I think penalty. So VAR was a bit of an experimental tool that was being used at the Women's World Cup. Um, we were, a, we were, I'd probably say the guinea pigs of the tournament. Uh, Just quickly, for for those that don't know, what exactly is VAR? It's when you you like replay moments, don't you? Like the umpire will go and watch it in the camera. Is that it? Yeah, so it's the video assistant referee. So one, the referee's got the umpire 
Sorry. Football. <laughs> um, the referees get the choice of going to the, the screen at the side of the pitch, but also there's a control room that has VAR referees. The VAR referees in the control room are telling the referee what they see. She decided to go to the monitor. She gave the penalty and then Lee saved it. And then I, like, it was kind of all my emotions cashing down. Cashing back up. Here we go. Like, it's amazing. Like, the, world, the world's a happy place. And then, like, we slashed the ball out of the, out of the pitch. And then the, the girl was about to take the throw in. And the referee blew the whistle. And kind of done a little VAR thing. And then she was like, wait. So someone was talking in her ear saying, I think the goalkeeper's kind of stepped off her line. I think she stepped off her line. And this rule was just was just reinforced. And then the, the, the ref, like, it was about a minute of just waiting, waiting, waiting. I think the referee decided to go to the monitor. I said, oh, no. Like, I was just standing up front. I was, like, hopeless. Like, my legs were, like, jelly. As if they weren't already, but I, I was starting to shake. Like, I've never experienced that feeling before. She went to the monitor, and she kind of came back from the monitor, and then they did a little VAR sign. Again, then she pointed to a penalty, and I was just like, oh, no. Like, she was retaking the penalty again. Just kind of knew, like, she's not going to miss twice. Like, And at that point, like, your goalie, if you've been told you can't move from that mark, you're going to be, like so much more cautious and you're just going to plant your feet more than you would do normally well well that's it because she actually got booked for it she got she got yellow carded for that so she thought right if i come off my line again i'm getting red carded and it's going to be another retake anyway so it was a bit of a it was a farce right they changed that rule so goalkeepers didn't get yellow carded after the group stages they changed the rule because of the whole thing with us which is crazy how you can change rules mid-tournament, which is wild. Never experienced, like, heartbreak. I felt heartbroken. I felt like football's given me so many great moments, like, so many great moments. But it's also given me the worst moments I've had in my life, like, honestly, because that's... I didn't get over that for about five, six months, and it's, st- like, I'm still hard to talk about. It's still hard to get over I still haven't watched the game I don't want to watch the game don't think I'll get over it until we qualify for another major tournament and then we actually make it right yeah oh it's so tough like I I know a few people that World Cup finals like for rugby for example they still haven't watched that game back because they kind of take the loss upon them even though it's a team sport and I guess everyone just processes those sorts of things differently. But I guess, as they say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, well, that's it. And I was a little, like, I um, I scored that game. And, like, as a little girl, I've always dreamed of playing at a World Cup, scoring at a World Cup. I had achieved that dream. But also, my dreams were shattered as well at the same time. So I remember doing an interview after the game and just like, you know what, I've achieved my dream. Like, I, I, I did it. I did it kind of thing so I felt so lucky and I knew that it was harder because I just knew that the world was watching like the world was watching us fail and I, f- I felt like I was a failure I f- said all right I've scored but I had this other chance in the game that I could have scored or but I knew that I gave absolutely everything as well so I think that for me was hard and I kind of had to look at myself in the mirror get you know get the mirror out and start self-reflecting and thinking what more could I have done? Or, no, actually, what good did I do? Because I was in the best shape leading up to it. I was the fittest I've ever been. You know, I, I'd done everything I could have to prepare, and some things just aren't meant to be. 
and also I guess is an element of some teams are kind of like you've got like USA for example like number one and they're pretty much guaranteed to be going to every World Cup and have been at several World Cups, Cubs, blah, blah, several World Cups previous to that one. Whereas Scotland, for example, hadn't qualified in a wee while. And it's that like World Cup kind of experience and mentality that I guess you only get when you go. So you, the amount of learning that you as a team would have had is like incredible. And I guess it's going to put you in a far better place next time. Yeah, for sure. Like, we've learned so much. I think it's now amazing that we've qualified for back-to-back major tournaments, see the Euros and the World Cup, and we want to do it again. But we never had that experience, whereas all the teams we played in the group, we played in England, Japan. Japan were, were World Cup winners. England, who came third tournament before, like, they were wanting to win it. We didn't have that expectation. The only expectation that was put on us was from ourselves. And we kind of carried that expectation maybe a little too much because we thought that we, you know, we could have beat Argentina. And yeah, we could have, but that's the way it goes. I think we're definitely in a better place than we were before the World Cup in terms of we understand each other. We're, we're in a bit of a golden era right now where I think the the team is just incredible. We've We've got littered with amazing players and it's nice to know that we don't just have one role model we've got 23 that's in the squad that are role models you know little girls have got everyone's names on the back and just not like two or three players which is which is amazing so I think we really have left a kind of impression on on little girls and that's for us what we want to do we want to leave the game in a better place um but also we know that in order to leave the game in a better place, that has to come with winning games and qualifying for major tournaments. And we, we realise that expectation. And we now, after the World Cup, have fueled our fire for, you know, 2020. Well, it was 21, but I think it's now 22. That takes us on nicely. You obviously had a big summer coming up with the European qualifiers and potentially Tokyo. That's all been moved back a year. So how are you adjusting to that? Yeah, like I didn't know whether I would be selected. Obviously, it's the best teams, uh, best players out of England, Wales, Northern Ireland, Scotland. So it was it was going to be incredibly tough to be selected. Yes, um, but it would also be an amazing achievement to say that you've been in an Olympian. So I was preparing for that. I was putting myself in the best shape so that hopefully my form would have got me there and. And would have warranted me a place. I know I knew it was going to be tough. I always knew it was going to be tough, but to kind of come two months before the, or three months before the games are about to start, or two months before selection or whatever, and and the games are cancelled is is a quite a tough one to take. But I think when I actually look back, for me, it's I've kind of trained more efficiently. I've done my recovery better. I've ate better more than I've ever done. So that's kind of like, you know what, I've kind of set myself a benchmark. I know what to do now. And I got injured at the start of the year as well from uh, in pre-season, like my first week back. Um, I'd done my ligaments in my ankle. But I knew that I wasn't best prepared at that point and I knew that I hadn't got over the World Cup. So I was still feeling sorry for myself. I got injured and it kind of knocked me back a few months. So I needed, I needed time and I was starting to build up a good momentum and you know this break for me has came at a bit of a bad time whereas we just won the cup and I was you know I had started to really find my feet and find my form and as a footballer form is like so important and I was starting to find a consistent level of performance 
which was going to put me in hopefully good stead to be selected, but also there's some incredible players at Team GB, so I don't know whether I would have got selected, but also I know that I've got a year to build myself up now, and I've got a kind of year to focus. Hopefully, to st- injury free is the most important thing to start my- to start the year because you can't influence selection if you're injured. You can influence selection if you're fit. So I need to do everything that I can on my end, whether it's nutrition, recovery, eating well, sleeping well, all of that stuff. Um, I need to do all of that right for another year because if I've done it for eight months, I can continue it now, and I've kind of grown over over my time I'm you know 21 now so getting it took a little bit of a time to realize actually what an athlete has to do um so I realize that and hopefully I'll put myself in a good position to be selected next year as if you're 21 and you've done like <laughs> everything that you have done and played for Scotland over 30 times and that's absolutely mental it's really cool thanks thanks we're moving on towards the, the last kind of topic of the podcast. And as it is the lockdown series, how has isolation life been treating you? A bit of a mixed bag. It's nice, so nice to be back with family. After the World Cup last summer, I didn't want to come home. I didn't want to see anyone. I didn't want to be anyone. I was not a good version of myself. So this is the actual time that I'm getting with my family. So nice. It's a bit of a struggle, not knowing when we'll be back. You know, I'm seeing other things get cancelled, but we've we haven't been cancelled yet, and I don't. I think that their intention is to finish the season. You know, I've been back for four weeks now, or whatever, and I still don't know what I'm doing, and I can't keep to a structured program for so long. So I'm going to take a little break and kind of go back to basics, enjoy and exercise, and kind of do my own program. Because I, you know, at this point, as an athlete, you know what your body needs. And I'm kind of nursing a little bit of an Achilles uh, pain. So I've got, like, rehab stuff for that. But also, I'd kind of do my own sessions and just enjoying fitness in this time. Because we could be away for, out for three months. And that's longer than one. It's longer than a pre-season in the middle of the season. So it's so weird. But um, also, like, we're going to go back and we're going to have to go straight into games as well. So... It's the, the unknown's not nice and kind of being out of routine. I'm a person that kind of gets up at seven, goes to the pool, goes to training, comes back, does uni work, like everything is routine. And I'm on a schedule every single day of like 15 minutes every day. So I'm used to being having structure in my life and to, to kind of have that taken away from you is a bit like, oh, uh, what do I do with myself? What's my purpose? Um, I'm used to kind of people setting the structure. I'm like, right, no, I have to set it myself. And, think it's important you know whatever you do whether it's if you don't want to do anything someday then don't then don't feel like you have to do it you see lots of people exercising on social media you like see lots of motivation and whatever but there are days where you're going to feel like you don't want to do anything and that's perfectly normal we're in the middle of a global pandemic you know what I mean so exercise when you feel like it try and push yourself a little bit but also if you feel like you don't feel up to it and don't feel pressured to to do it yeah, I think that's a really good bit of advice. You kind of end up beating yourself up for a day when you haven't gone out for a run, but actually you've done yourself more damage in your head than if you just thought, oh, I'll can it for today, enjoy being a slob and get back on it tomorrow or the day after, whatever. Well, yeah, like that's exactly what it is. I can't stick to a structure without seeing my friends. Like my teammates are my second family. I feel like I'm missing an arm or a leg with it. I'm so weird. 
Like, I, I don't know what to do without them, genuinely. And I'm like, oh, um, what's fitness without teammates? Like, um, what do I do? Like, do I go out and run? Like, is that normal? So I don't really kind of know what to do. So yeah, you have days where you're not going to feel motivated, and that's completely fine. But as long as you're staying at home, um, and I'm spending lots of time with my family, I'm going out walks, and I'm going out kind of, Fam, like doing family things, which is something I would have never done before. So I think the global pandemic is terrible, but it's also giving people time to reflect and kind of look at their own lives and appreciate what we actually do have. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good bit of advice in terms of like appreciate what you can control at the moment. Because I think if you keep, especially if you're doing a team sport, if you keep thinking about everything you can't do, you're just going to drive yourself mad and definitely not thinking as well about oh, it's Saturday, I would be playing this game today. Or I would be here with my teammates today. Well, definitely, because um, I know that we'd have had so many games. I'm thinking, right, we would have played our FA Cup quarterfinal by now. Would we be in the semi-final? No, like, you can't think like that. Mm-hmm. It's If it comes back, it comes back. It's as simple as that. And for me, I'm lucky because we had... I literally won two trophies in the space of a week within you know, before this all happened and before we got put into lockdown, we, we won the Conte Cup with Chelsea. So it's nice that the last game with Chelsea, we actually won a trophy. Like, I don't know how I would have been if we never won that final. And then we've had this big lengthy break, you know what I mean? So that would have been a struggle. But it's knowing that, you know what, this isn't going to last forever. We're going to come back. We're going to have to be competing for trophies. So I'm going to have to be ready not only physically, but mentally. Like, I need to use this time to recharge the batteries after the World Cup. I never really got the opportunity to. We had three weeks off, and my head was in overdrive. Like, I wasn't me. So this is my time to actually, like, appreciate what I have and the good things around me without having any distractions. And, you know, I've got to stay at home, so you've got the chance to think. I've got the chance to actually catch up in my studies that I never do. Oops. And... Um, the chance to actually be with my family like it's I've never had this extended period of time being with my family since I moved down three, you know three, more than three years ago so it's nice to be back with them and it's nice to actually do things as a family again so I think every cloud is a silver lining and it is what you make it kind of thing so very true right Good. yeah thank you so much for talking to us I think there's been so much like good advice there that anybody listening will definitely be able to relate to and I think it was nice to finish it on saying like every cloud is silver lining so I think that's something that we all need to like remember right now and hold on to thanks for having me yeah thanks so much thank you so much for helping us out lovely 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 thanks for having me appreciate it cheers Erin bye because we are doctors lawyers mothers footballers first minister Port Laureate, we're on the move and I'm telling you the glass ceiling's going, we're coming through. Rise up, eyes up, take the stage, play your game, don't be afraid. You're a work of art, or Jones of art, always be proud of who you are. Girl, gotta hold your head up high, don't let this moment pass you by. You can be anything you believe you can be. Believe you can be